Hi, my name is Rutendo Nyamuda, and welcome back to another phenomenal, exciting episode of In My Twenties. In My Twenties. Coming up on today's show, we sit down with another incredible guest. So introducing themselves onto the In My Twenties podcast, I'd like to welcome them into the In My Twenties family. And here they are. So my name is Dr. Nogu Kanyekanyile. I'm currently a medical practitioner working towards a specialization in pediatrics. Um, I also am very passionate about mental and community health, which involves uh, my work with an organization called Mental Matters, which aims to destigmatize mental illness. I really, really uh, love the idea of empowering people at the community level. So that's why pediatrics really reaches out to me. But I also use social media as a tool to get to people, get in their homes, in their private spaces sometimes because I feel like in those spaces um, that's where you can really connect with people and you can share your stories in a way that they can also relate to but if they don't like it they can turn it off so I don't want to impose but I really love sharing my stories I love fitness love and life now on every episode of the In My Twenties podcast, our guests always come through with these incredible mind moments or gem moments, and this is just one of them. You have to prioritize yourself and you have to say, I can't. Not because you're, you're trying to seem like you're better than other people, not because you're trying to um, put yourself above other people, but you're trying to preserve yourself because you cannot pour from an empty cup. And preserving yourself isn't self-care Sundays every day. It's my bath, it's my water, water, water. Self-care is actually having the difficult conversation. The In My Twenties podcast is split up into three sections. In the first section, we get to hear a little bit more about our guest's career history. In the second section, we dive into today's topic. And finally, rounding up all three sections is a conversation on the all-consuming Twenties journey. Let's get straight into it. So first question is, I want to know a little bit more about your background. A lot of people kind of like fantasize and have this dream of when I'm old, I want to be a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, these kind of um, careers that we often see on the TV shows. But I want to know what was it for you? Um, what was the pinnacle moment for you in terms of wanting to be a doctor? But even before that, like, tell us a little bit about your background and where you're from. So I'm originally from the south of Joburg in Alberton. Um, I grew up there with my mom and my dad and my younger sister. And then my parents got divorced when I was in grade four. So I had to actually move um, to the West Rand in Florida. So it was like a lot of up and down. And I was one of those kids who was like, listen, I really want to do something and I'm not going to like give up until I do it. So I convinced my parents subtly with a firm hand to let me move back in with my dad um, so that I could continue high school back in the South. Um, when I was there, I found that I had an affinity for being able to do things. So my mom was the kind of person who was able to just wake up in the morning. She's a, she is the definition of a morning person. Okay. Everyone thinks it's me. No, babes. It's my mom. Um, so <laughs> my mom uh, would wake up in the morning and it was just, she always had things to do. She always had people to communicate with or to like bond or connect with. Um, and I really appreciated that about her because she taught me the art of um, being not just in your current space, but also taking up other spaces. So I did the sports, I did the academics, I did the 
presenting. I did modeling. I did everything in high school. And I really appreciate my parents because my mom and my dad would happily shuffle me up and down between things. Um, but the one rule was, if you don't do it properly, you don't do it at all. So um, that's why I think um, then I became deputy head girl. And then moving on, I really wanted to do something that would help people. Um, I would also be able to teach, but I wanted to be able to motivate myself in some kind of way. So that was either studying or having to always have next step. And so um, some of the things that came up was teaching itself, um, pharmacy, as well as accounting, and then medicine. Medicine also was very tough in the beginning. Um, it wasn't the easiest thing because first year is kind of like a catch-up year. But second year is when you really start doing the medical stuff, the anatomy, the chemistry, the biochemistry. The, it was so overwhelming. I think I wanted to quit like four times. Um, <laughs> and the other, the other problem is the first couple of years of medicine, you're not really talking to patients. You're not really um, engaging with the medicine of it, you know? Um, so you're reading about conditions that you never really see in people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was difficult for me to grasp. And so once we got into our clinical years, I was like, this is nothing. I'm never leaving. Yeah, yeah, got you, got you. And so can you paint a reality picture or the real picture of what it is to be a doctor a day in the life of, the, of, the, of a doctor? Because I've watched Grey's Anatomy. I still do. I love it. I've seen you Amsterdam. There's a little bit more drama in there. We've seen, we idealize almost these like doctor medical dramas and series. And, you know, there obviously are very real moments in them, but it's almost like there's there's the drama behind the drama. And then there's the, you know, those moments where you're like, scalpel, it's always scalpel, always the scalpel, scalpel. And then it's just, yeah, 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 <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can tell this is not this is not my profession, clearly. Um, so tell me, what is the, how, how, first of all, how real are the medical dramas in comparison to your day-to-day activities as a doctor? Um, So they're very far-fetched. One, because we are in a completely different healthcare setting. So in South Africa, we see different pathology. We see different patient populations. I mean, on these medical dramas, you have people who um, are affording medical aid. They're upper to middle uh, income classes. um, They're you know, having access to water electricity as a standard. Um, Whereas here in South Africa, you have 85% of the population being serviced by the um, state, which is where we work. Um, There you have these beautiful on-call rooms and they have like beds that are made every day. South Africa, you're lucky if there is a bed in the hospital for you to rest in. Uh, Many a call has been spent sitting on a chair um, or like trying to like make a bench into a bed um, so that you could catch a nap if you catch a nap um and then also just having like efficiency like there they say you know like it blows my mind because there'll be a patient who comes in through the trauma with the ambulance and then they like say all these orders and they're like this needs to be done and then this gets given and then they like rush into theater and I'm like how because for us for that to happen it must be like a whole long like very significant coincidence that all these things happen in this patient rush to theater. So um, I think medical dramas are great because they show people the emotional toll that uh, medicine takes on the doctors um, because people forget that we also have lives when we go home. 
and also that we are physically and psychologically exhausted at three o'clock in the morning. It's not easy. And yes, we know that you've been sitting there for maybe five or six hours waiting for a doctor to see you. We know you've got pain. Um, We know that you are worried about your family member or something, but shouting at me and saying that I'm useless when maybe I'm just an intern who's just started and um, I'm overwhelmed and I'm scared that I'm going to make a mistake. Or maybe I'm a registrar, um, so that would be a studying specialist who has now got all this responsibility on them. Um, and now I've got to supervise a team of juniors who's brand new. Um, I've got my seniors breathing down my neck. Um, maybe you're a consultant. You've just finished um, your specialization. And now you've got to run the whole department and the whole unit. Um, sisters, cleaners, admin clerks, they're under so much pressure. And so I think that's what I appreciate a little bit about those medical dramas because they bring those things to light. But yeah, for the day-to-day stuff, no, darling. Mm-mm. And nobody sleeps with anybody in the on-call rooms. I've never seen that. <laughs> I was going to ask, I was like, is there romance? Because I'll walk into the hospital with scrubs and be like, oh, hi, I'm Dr. Nyawada. Um, yeah, yeah, there is romance. Um, I just don't think it would be sanitary to conduct that romantic relationship in some of the places we're in i pray that nobody's doing it in the beds that i'm sleeping in because that's even more gross but um yeah no it it doesn't happen <laughs> but um so switching gears into i guess you know the bulk part of what i really really want to find out from you is right now there is no denying that there is probably not a more difficult and tougher time to be a doctor to be in the medical profession, to be a nurse, to be in the hospital spaces um, because we're in the middle of a pandemic. And, you know, we've never experienced this before as this generation. We've never seen this before. And we're about a year, just over a year um, since, you know, the lockdown started happening, especially in South Africa. And a lot of lives have changed and the way we see the world has changed. How has your... You know, how did things start off for you? Where were you about a year ago when the pandemic started? And how have you kind of progressed um, as a medical profession um, to now, to just over a year later? My job didn't really change much from a schedule point of view. I still had to wake up and go to work, which I had a little bit of FOMO about because I was just like, why does everybody get to stay home and work from home? And okay, that's a bit boring. But at the same time, I appreciated the consistency and the fact that I could still leave the house. Um, I think seeing Habi uh, wake up in the morning and then like when I leave, then at least that gave us a break because I can imagine staying in the same place Mm. for like weeks on end with your partner could probably drive you crazy. Um, But for us, at least we have that benefit of distance because I was still doing calls. I was still doing my 240 hours a month. that wasn't really that bad. Um, from a from a practical point of view, I think it was a little bit more challenging just because we didn't know how to conduct ourselves most of the time because things were changing all the time. So one day it's you have to wear like full PPE. Then the next day it's you have to wear like a mask with goggles and then this. Then the next day it's these are the protocols. And then the next day it's you admit them to the sword. So things were constantly changing. So it was a little bit confusing because we were just like, what is happening? Like, it's just so confusing. But um, I appreciated the structures we had in place from a 
governmental point of view, but also from a, a leadership point of view in our uh, hospitals because they got the protocols out very quickly they got guidelines out very quickly um there was a lot of support you know people were able to reach out to um seniors and um consultants who are specialists and say i'm not okay you know and they were like okay no, it's fine stay at home sort yourself out um we'll cover the roster um but then from an organizational point of view having to lose like people either physically because they died or emotionally because they were burning out because we were just covering each other left right and center I remember there was a weekend where we were on call with one of the doctors and then they got their COVID results while we were on call they had to leave and for like two or three hours we were down doctor until someone else came in but for the person who had to leave they had to find someone to replace them and you know for me I can't imagine like here you've because at that time, we didn't know how serious COVID was. We didn't know how sick you could get, you know. We were seeing Italians dying and we were seeing um, reports from Europe of medical professionals dropping. So it was very scary. And now you're having to be told, okay, well, you, you need to go and isolate, but um, you need to find someone to cover your calls for the next 14 days. That was, it was hard because trying to get colleagues to, to buy in and say, guys, it could be you. And literally, it could be you, could be anybody. So that was a bit difficult. Um, but I think eventually everybody banded together. Eventually, everybody pulled together and we were able to help one another out. Um, and so, yeah, I think COVID for me was a, an eye opener because it made me realize um, what I am and what I am not willing to do. It made me realize my strengths and my weaknesses, not as just a doctor. Um, in myself but as a doctor in a team um, and also just organize like from a bigger point of view from a macroeconomic point of view um, it showed people how much doctors are are not okay it showed people how much nurses were falling apart how much allied professionals were really not being appreciated for the work that they were doing and I think people don't understand that the OTs physios cleaners, clerks, all of those people who we work with, dietitians, they're just as important to our job because yes, we are the ones doing the overnight calls, but without the dietitian, we can't really optimize our patients to make sure that they get the best health in hospital. So yeah, COVID really helped us see the, the, the cracks. Yeah, yeah, so true. Um, and then the one other aspect that I really wanted to chat about was mental health, especially in this pandemic space. And for me, I'm, I see articles pop up every now and again, but I feel like because it's not, um, I don't know, I don't want to say it's not a lot of people's priority, but I'm seeing the effects of, you know, people going through a number of emotional um, kind of kind of things brought on by the pandemic. So there seems to be a lot more anxiety. I myself am facing a lot of anxiety. Um, I've seen friends going through a lot of depression or like heightened versions of depression. Um, when you talk to people in certain seasons, there just seems to be this general almost cloud or energy of like, um, I'm going through something right now. It's We're in the middle of a pandemic. I've never faced this before, but we just got to keep going. I've still got to wake up in the morning. I've still got to go to work. I've still got to go and you know, if you if you have kids, you've still got to look after your kids. If you're married, you have a spouse, you have extended family. There are all of these other elements to one's life, but I'm not sure if we're 
concentrating and focusing a lot on the mental health um, kind of aspects and components of what is happening and actually addressing psychologically what is happening in society right now. Um, and, you know, you're part of a, an organization that actually deals with or speaks to, um, you know, kind of mental health as well, mental matters. And so, I mean, for you being in that position, how do you look at kind of what's happening in society at the moment? So if you look at the definition of mental health, the World Health Organization came up with this brilliant definition. And basically it speaks to four main things. One, you have to have a um, ability to work at a particular level that is socially acceptable. So you must understand that society changes at all times. If you talk to people 20 years ago, um, having multiple careers was not a thing. Today, working and having multiple streams of income is the standard. So already, because the standard has elevated, we are now feeling more pressure to go up there. So if I don't have a blog and if I don't also serve my community and if I don't have an amazing personal life, I am not the standard. And so already we're like not achieving the definition of mental health. Then you have to be able to um, contribute to your society productively. So now you're getting people who are expected to work in a different standard defined by society to contribute to that society. And so the contribution is determined by that society. So I, in my medical space, go to work and I help the babies and then I come home and sleep. But because I don't have multiple streams of income and because I don't do many things, I feel the pressure to do more. And so now I don't feel like I'm contributing to my society. And society then says, oh, you're just a doctor. What else are you doing? Like, how are you helping your community in your outside time? Now already, two out of the two for two, I'm not meeting the definition of mental health. The third thing is also to then say we have to deal with the normal stresses of life. South Africa is not a normal place <laughs> to live. Anybody who's lived here, let's, let's leave the pandemic out of it before we even get there. We have the highest rape rates in the world. We're the crime capital of the world. We have inequalities. We have unemployment. You have the constant like change in political stances and people's opinions and racism and sexism. And so all of these things are already adding to your abnormal stresses. And then you still have to deal with your normal life, which is having a family having a, a partner um, or not having a partner, being judged for not having a partner, being judged for having kids, being judged for not having kids. So it's just like, how do we fit to the definition of mental health, right? When already everything is so chaotic. So that's the first thing. None of us are meeting the definition of mental health. Not a single person at this point in time. Then you throw in a pandemic where every insecurity, every anxious person, every depressed person, every um, emotionally insecure person is going to feel and have the reality of all of those things put in front of you because you can't, you can't go anywhere. For three weeks, you're stuck in your house. You're stuck with yourself. You're stuck with your family. You're stuck with um, people who maybe you didn't realize you actually don't like, <laughs> you know? Um, so at the end of the day, that abnormal stress mixed with this incredibly 
confused society um, mixed in with this unnecessary pressure to perform at an unnecessary high level makes our mental health completely in shatters. And so the one thing I always say to to people is be patient and prioritize. Do you really, 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 and I know this is going to sound bad, but really, really have to do that podcast this month. When you know that your mom is going through something, when you know that your relationship with your partner is on the rocks, when you know that your kids are crying all the time because you're never there because you're just so distant, when you know yourself you're not sleeping or eating properly, when you're burning out, do you really, really, really have to attend and organize that party? Can someone else not do it? And the one thing I've, I found at work that's really difficult for us to do is because we want to make an impression, it's difficult to say no because you you don't want to be that person that says, how, oh, but Dr. Kanile, how can like prof want you to do this presentation and you say no? You have to prioritize yourself and you have to say, I can't. Not because you're you're trying to seem like you're better than other people not because you're trying to um, put yourself above other people but you're trying to preserve yourself because you cannot pour from an empty cup and preserving yourself isn't self-care Sundays every day it's my bath it's my water self-care is actually having the difficult conversation and I'll prove it to you everybody has someone right now who they have to pick up the phone and call and have a difficult conversation with the person just popped into your mind you just don't want to do it because it's a difficult conversation. <laughs> but you know who the person is or you know who the people is. Sometimes that person is yourself. But you don't want to do it because you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. So the first thing I always say to people, like I said, is be patient with yourself. Preserve yourself. And then secondly is um, have the conversation. Yeah, it's going to be horrible and yeah, it's going to be awkward. But then you just start the conversation and say, you know, even if you don't know how to do it, reach out and say, you know, you were on my mind and then leave it there and then see what happens. Hey, Because if they then have a negative response, you kind of know how to approach the conversation. If they have a positive response, that's an easier conversation to have. The third thing is always to deal through it not deal with it because deal with it kind of is like ugh, you know like just deal with it you'll be fine just calm down babes you'll be fine Mm-mm. if you are feeling like you're going to have a ner- nervous breakdown have the nervous breakdown close the door switch off your phone my favorite thing in the world to do is to cry like it's so interesting because this pregnancy hasn't made me moody in the sense that I shout at people or I fight with people. I just cry about everything. If I'm happy, I cry. If I'm sad, I cry. If I had a tough day, I cry. When I'm tired, I cry. When I'm hungry, I cry. Hubsy is just like, sometimes he records me and he's like, bro, are you okay? And I'm just like, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just sad. He's like, why? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know? Um, and, and sit with your your stuff because sometimes 20 minutes of crying and like I'm talking about like you know that one where you can't even catch your breath because you're crying sometimes it's just that one tear that Denzel Washington like tear that comes out you need to sit with your stuff and deal through it and you need to really like climb into that and feel the fear feel the anxiety, feel the thing, because we're always trying to be okay so much and we're trying to like run away and just 
have a plan together. And sometimes you don't have a plan. I always say to God, fix it because I don't know. I don't know what's happening at this time. There's some calls where I'm on the call and there's just like things happening. And I'm like, God, listen, I'm doing everything I can, but you need to fix this child now because I don't know what to do anymore. I'm like, everything we're doing is not working. What is happening? And then the next morning, the baby's fine. And everyone is like, Kanya, what do you mean? The baby's fine. And I'm like, yeah, but they weren't fine like a few hours ago. Because I just asked God and I'm just like, fix it. I don't know what to do. But you deal through it. And and I think for me, that's the that's the, the, the pure definition. When I'm on call, everything is happening and everything is falling apart. But if I fall apart, the baby will die. So I just have to mm. trust that everything I'm doing has a plan and has an effect. And I have to know that I need to do this step next and that step next. And when I've gotten to the end of the road, you just have to have faith. And if it doesn't work out, which sometimes it does, then I can tell that family, I did every single thing in my power to help this baby, but they were just too sick or they just came too late or whatever. And the same way for your life, do everything in your power to show up for yourself. Make sure that you're sleeping enough. Make sure that you're eating well. Make sure that you're exercising. Make sure that you're keeping your body, your mind, your heart strong. Have good relationships. You know who you need to cut out your life. They popped into your head. So just have the conversation. It's going to suck. But either way, you're either going to have a bad life because you're missing them and like, your life can get better or you're going to have a sucky life for a couple of months because they're just there and then they're not going to want to leave and then you're going to keep having them around and it's just going to be an ongoing cycle so number one preserve yourself number two Mm -hmm. like deal through it and number three just Mm -hmm. like take be patient with yourself take time for yourself oh i'm not gonna lie i don't know what it is about like especially the last Actually, not even just the last couple of episodes, every single in my 20s interview session, there's always a moment for me where I'm like, hmm, this was for me. This is, this is, I, I always say, this is my, this is my therapy. I do want to switch gears into the third and final section of the podcast, which is all about your 20s journey. Um, First of all, I would love for you to summarize your 20s journey thus far in just a couple of sentences. <laughs> I should have listened to my mama. Um, is that enough? Is, can I leave it there? Can I leave it there? Uh, I think my mom is incredibly wise. And she always, she said three things to me. She was like, make lots of money. Um, I want to summarize what she said without like going into the details of what she said, but she basically said, how around, um, I should have listened. And then the third thing was, <laughs> the third thing was, um, just, just do things that are going to make you happy. I should have dated more, you know, instead of trying to like be focused and zone in on one person. Um, I realize now and like, like being with my husband now, I realize how important it is to have those options because you're able to then see this is, this, this is my person. Like I, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I found with my twenties, I was go, 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 go. And 
I only ever stopped because of another man. And so with him, I haven't had to stop. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that because I've been like, go, 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 go. And he's like, okay, so where we're going next. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's go. <laughs> then we just go, you know, we carry on going. Mm-hmm. And that is incredibly important because I have family who does that for me. They were always there. My mom is that person. I then developed a relationship with friends who did that. But when you choose a life partner, this is someone who literally you spend all your time with. He's like my best friend. Like we make the same jokes even though I'm funnier than him. Um, and <laughs> like, he hypes me up. I hype him up. Um, it's very important. But if you don't use your 20s as a time to find those experiences and really like share that that experience with people, um, and you're just focused, like you're so zoned in on like one particular idea that you have for yourself that you don't open yourself to other possibilities, um, you miss out on the beauty. Oh, I love that. I love I love so much of that. Um, <laughs> I love the advice from your mom. I should host a, a, a different podcast called, you know, Mother's Advice. That <laughs> Because the mother's wisdom, guys, it keeps coming back. And you sit there and you're like, but my mom did say. <laughs> um, and so tell me, um, have you ever experienced the quarter life crisis? What was your quarter life crisis and how did you get out of it? Girl, my quarter life crisis came in internship and I was 25. I was 25. Quarter life crisis came. I was 25. I had just broken up with my boyfriend. I was in internship burning out because it was just so hectic. I was at Chris Honey Baragona at the academic hospital. Um, I was trying to figure out, do I want to leave home? Do I want to stay home? I was hoeing. I hoed. You guys, I was a mess. My chance. Moral of the story is, I had to go through that journey of just complete, like the pits. It was the pits. It was the pits, the pits, the pits. I had to break. Um, But I realized that God used those moments to grow me because the same way that muscle, and it's a physiological thing, it's a medical thing. The same way that when you go to the gym, when you lift that weight, right, physically tears your muscles it, it that's why you get the pain because you have all that muscle like enzymes that is released and then it's like lactic acid and it's all there and it's sore man it's very sore but you are gracefully broken he had to he had to break me so that i could build again so that i could be stronger yay keys keys it's the keys <laughs> keys for me <laughs> And so final question is um, you've shared an extensive amount of like knowledge of insight um, on today's topic and today's discussion. Um, What final advice or what piece of advice would you want to leave with people in their twenties? Yeah. For any season in their lives right now, but pretty much just in their twenties. For any season, but especially for your twenties, it's a season of exploration. Um, allow yourself to figure out what it is that you want. Even if you kind of have an idea about it, don't shut yourself off to new experiences. I think the one thing we have a lot of pressure to do is perform. And so we lock ourselves into careers or into decisions that we can't get ourselves out of. And I really encourage you in your 20s to understand that there's always another option for you. 
you don't necessarily have kids. You don't necessarily have a partner who you've committed your life to. So you use this time to really branch out and explore your options. Um, like my mama said, like, okay, you, you, you don't have to necessarily help, but like, <laughs> like date, have fun, um, go through the process deal through things, be patient with yourself and understand that everybody's norm is not your norm. And it's okay. If you want to cry about it, cry about it. If you want to fight about it, fight about it, but just don't hurt somebody, please. Cause that's not nice, but um, just explore and allow your world to open up so that one day when you look back, you can say, I did everything I wanted to do. I have no regrets. So really explore open up your heart, open up your mind to new things and don't hold yourself back. Many thanks to our guest for an amazing discussion today. And thank you all so much for tuning in to the In My Twenties podcast. Please don't forget to like, share and subscribe. And while you're here, leave us a comment and let us know what you thought about today's discussion. The In My Twenties podcast is a production of Teenswear Media. For more information, visit www.teenswearmedia.com.